Well, good morning. Let's see if I can get my tech going here. It's the uh, first Sunday of Advent. It's time to begin our celebration of Christmas. You know, the way that we celebrate Christmas in America is largely shaped by three factors. First, the traditions of early immigrants to our country, such as the German custom of decorating an evergreen tree for Christmas. And second, the Dutch transfiguration of a generous third century pastor by the name of Nicholas into a Christmas saint. In 1844, American poet Clement Clark Moore turned this saint into a modern day Santa Claus whose round little belly shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. Thirdly, we're influenced by something that happened about that same time in Victorian England. Novelist Charles Dickens penned his unforgettable A Christmas Carol. Dickens introduces us to a man by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge, who in one night is transformed from a jaded, embittered moneylender into a man infected by the joy of living. All it takes is the vision of three spirits to show Scrooge the error of his ways, to show Scrooge how to reclaim his life from a living death. Dickens' story speaks of the spirit of Christmas. But there is no Christmas spirit to be found in the pages of the Bible. The Gospels, written by Matthew and Luke, speak not of a spirit, but of an angel. The differences between these two versions of Christmas are considerable. For Dickens' Christmas spirit and the Bible's angel of Advent lead us to two very different kinds of Christmas celebrations. But here's the kicker. As disciples of the High King of Heaven, we get to celebrate both Christmases. And our King calls on us to show mercy and kindness to those in America who only get to celebrate half a Christmas. Please follow along as I read our sermon passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph 
woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Now, most of us are quite familiar with the story of that miserable miser Ebenezer Scrooge, the man who hated Christmas. After all, Scrooge has been portrayed by a galaxy of stars, which includes George C. Scott, Albert Finney, Patrick Stewart, Henry Winkler, Kelsey Grammer, Vanessa Williams, Bill Murray, Tim Curry, Jim Carrey, Mickey Mouse, Mr. Magoo, and Fred Flintstone. Charles Dickens brilliantly portrays his version of Christmas by borrowing key dramatic elements from the original Christmas story of the Gospels. In fact, Dickens writes his story so that the main character, Ebenezer Scrooge, goes through the same kind of dramatic events that Joseph experiences when the angel of God visits him to inform him that Mary's expected baby is the long-awaited Messiah. Both Joseph and Scrooge expect the worst from their situations. Both Joseph and Scrooge experience a paradigm shift, a dramatic change in perspective. Both Joseph and Scrooge boldly entrust their faith to a message that prompts them to action. But that's where the similarity ends. Today, I want us to look at the details of Joseph's encounter with the angel of Advent so that we may better realize how Dickens' Christmas spirits lead people to enjoy only half a Christmas celebration. We will focus on three reasons why the gospel of the birth of Christ, the Christ child, leads us into a far more satisfying and deeply fulfilling celebration of Christmas. First, that only the Bible's angel of Christmas past provides the substance of Christmas. Secondly, that Dickens' Christmas spirit, uh, Dickens spirit of Christmas present gives us merely the shadow of Christmas. And finally, we will see that when we place our trust in the substance of Christmas, only then can we truly enjoy the entirety of the spirit of Christmas. Let's go to our first point. At the center of our passage in the Gospel of Matthew is the angel of Christmas past. Now, the first words of verses 18, 20, and 24 are key to our understanding Joseph's encounter with this angel. Those three key words are now, but... And when? First, we see that Joseph expects the worst from his situation. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Our first key word is now. And it introduces us to the details of the events of the Christmas story that Matthew is recounting from Joseph's perspective. Joseph and Mary were already betrothed to each other when Joseph learns that Mary has become pregnant. Luke's gospel gives us the details about how she became pregnant, 
Matthew's gospel does not. The ceremony of betrothal in Jewish tradition was as binding as marriage itself. From that moment on, a couple was considered to be married in the legal sense, but they did not live together until after the marriage ceremony, which often took place even a year following the betrothal ceremony. Now, our passage in Matthew's Gospel reflects the seriousness of this commitment during the betrothal period. In verse 19, Joseph is called Mary's husband. In verse 20, Mary is called Joseph's wife, even though they had only been betrothed. So when Joseph learns that Mary has become pregnant, this poor carpenter from Nazareth displays a remarkable godly character of which the prophet Micah spoke. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Joseph loves justice, yet he loves mercy. Therefore, Matthew explains, he humbly resolves to divorce Mary quietly. Joseph respects the principle of Scripture, but he also values the personal impact of his obedience. The, the principle of God's law uh, forbids adultery, and he's convinced that must be honored. The personal impact is that his obedience would sentence Mary to a lifetime of shame and scorn among her people. John Calvin summarizes Joseph's decision in this way. Joseph, therefore, moved by an ardent love of justice, condemned the crime of which he supposed his wife to have been guilty, while the gentleness of his disposition prevented him from going to the utmost rigor of the law. Joseph, stunned and heartbroken by the assumption that his betrothed wife has betrayed him, now expects the worst of his situation, until. That's when we see the dramatic change in the experience that Joseph experiences in his perspective, his paradigm shift. Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. That's our second key word, but. And it indicates a change from the usual. God is working out these events in unusual ways. This angel is not just any angel. It is an angel of the Lord, says the scripture. It is an angel imbued with the authority of God. And it may likely be the same angel, Gabriel, of whom Luke's gospel speaks, who brought God's message to Zechariah and then to Mary. Immediately, Joseph will recognize that something out of the ordinary is happening because the angel addresses him as Joseph, son of David, not Joseph, son of Methan, his father. The reference to David signals to Joseph that he is being addressed because of his place in the line of King David, through whom God promised that the Messiah would one day descend. That day has arrived. 
The angel continues, Joseph, Mary speaks truly. The child she carries is a work of the Holy Spirit, not the result of any unfaithfulness to you. Finally, we see that Joseph boldly entrusts his faith to this message, and that prompts him to action. Verse 24, our third word, when. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. So here is our key third word, when. So Joseph chooses to believe the angel's message about these events, and he obeys his instructions to the letter. For this dream is not merely a natural dream, which arises from Joseph's own personal thoughts of the day. This dream is stamped with the character of certainty. This dream is impressed with the convincing testimony of God's Spirit so that Joseph has not the slightest doubt about its truth. The angel's message is about a rescue mission bound up in the name of Jesus. And it is not an unexpected development For the entire history of the Jewish people is wrapped up in the promise and expectation of a coming Messiah. It's just that Joseph didn't expect to be involved personally. That is until the angel speaks. And then, it is then that Joseph realizes what's going on. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. All, all this took place, meaning all these events, are about the long-awaited rescue mission. They are about the prophecy found in Isaiah 7.14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, many scholars of Dickens' era of 19th century Europe took particular exception to the idea of a virgin birth. They used their great learning to justify their own unbelief in the God of the Bible and insisted that the prophecy should be translated, a young woman shall conceive and not a virgin shall conceive. So, a young woman shall conceive That's not much of a miraculous sign. There's nothing really unusual about a young woman getting pregnant. But Charles Dickens is firmly in the camp of the emboldened secular spirit of the age of 19th century Europe, a time when European scholars used their great learning to deny the credibility of the Bible to origin. It is precisely this very message of the Christmas angel that Charles Dickens hates about Christmas. And it is the very reason he sought to create a new alternative Christmas story. That's why Dickens is determined to replace the Christmas angel with the Christmas spirit. Even today, we hear the chorus of their spirit of Christmas in the phrase, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. 
This is a perversion of the actual words of the angel's proclamation in which the Gospel of Luke records. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Actually, this didn't please Charles Dickens at all. Dickens does not want to acknowledge the God of the Bible who sent a Savior to redeem his people. So he creates the story of a man who redeems himself. Dickens creates his own three-point sermon in the form of a story. Scrooge, like Joseph, expects the worst from his situation. Money has become Scrooge's God, but it does not satisfy it. Thus, he becomes miserable and miserly. He comes to expect the worst in people. Scrooge, like Joseph, experiences a dramatic change in perspective, a paradigm shift. And in the space of one night, Scrooge is frightened into seeing the dreadful consequences of his unfounded lifelong convictions. And then Scrooge, like Joseph, boldly entrusts his faith to a message that prompts him to action. This message is that there is resident within each human heart a sufficient amount of basic goodness which can be fanned into flame, which often offers the very satisfaction of soul for which all humankind longs. Dickens scholar Jane Smiley writes that this idea was at the core of Dickens' convictions about human nature. For to Charles Dickens, she writes, human nature is only somewhat wrong, not irredeemably corrupt and sinful. In this, Dickens differed from many of his fellow reformers, like Lord Shaftesbury, who were evangelicals and who promoted first and foremost the prohibition of sinful acts such as prostitution and alcohol consumption, and who combined teaching the poor to read and write with relig rigorous religious instruction. Both sorts of reformers saw the inhumanity and indeed the danger of the chaos around them. But Dickens always ridiculed the evangelical impulse to look for sinfulness and evil nature instead of interpreting kindness, fellow feeling, charitableness, and social conscience as virtues of generosity and love. Dickens believed society would be transformed by an expansion of love and responsibility through the cultivation of comfort and beauty, not through clamping down. Now this should sound all too familiar to us in our present day because this is precisely what the dominant cultural elite of our day hate about Christmas that it is a celebration which is firmly rooted in the conviction that people are by nature desperately wicked and in need of serious rescue from the consequences of that wickedness. Somewhere in London's churches of that era, Charles Dickens would have heard the voice of the prophet Jeremiah ring out, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? To be sure, the scriptures also teach that there is goodness and kindness resonant in the human heart. 
because all people still reflect the image of God in which we were first created, though even that goodness can be twisted into self-serving and not God-serving and God-worshipping. The hard fact is that Ebenezer Scrooge cannot, simply through his own strength, will himself to change his nature. Dickens may portray him as changed, but that's a fantasy. In real life, that kind of change doesn't last. People who are spiritually dead simply cannot will themselves into new life. So it's clear that Charles Dickens' spirit of Christmas and the angel of Advent lead us into two very different Christmas celebrations. These also lead us toward two very different futures. For Ebenezer Scrooge, the ghost of Christmas yet to come forces him to face the horrible reality of his own death. But in the face of death, the only solution that Charles Dickens has to offer his uh, offer for mankind's, mankind's woes is simply to encourage goodness, kindness, and cheer in the doing of good works. In great contrast to the Christmas spirit, the message of the Christmas angel is that we are not saved by good works, but unto good works. The old King James translation of Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The message of the Christmas angel is that God is at work in the events of human history to steer humanity toward another Christmas that is yet to come. It will be like a second coming of Christmas. But this time, the Savior will not come quietly. We read in Thessalonians 4 that at the end of time, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So this Christmas, let us encourage one another as a people chosen and dearly loved by our uh, God, our Father, we are the recipients of his very best Christmas gifts, and our Father does know how to give good gifts to his children. We have been given the substance of Christmas, which the angel of Christmas past announced to Joseph. And the other package that we get to open this Advent season is the true spirit of Christmas present. That which Charles Dickens could only invite his readers to imagine as the shadow of Christmas is ours too, but for real. This means that each Christmas I can thoroughly delight in the story of Ebenezer Scrooge because what he does at the very end of the story, I get to do for a whole month every year. For one month, I get to do good deeds with relish and intent. I get to wear red and green. <laughs> and unlike those who use Christmas to shame others into doing good works, I don't have to be scared into doing the good works. I don't have to be shamed into doing good deeds. I don't have to feel obligated to 
doing good deeds, good deeds come naturally pouring out of me. Why? Because the Apostle John tells us that Jesus cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Good deeds come pouring out of us like a natural spring, overflowing with the expectation that at this time of year, our culture gives us permission, special permission, to show effervescent kindness and cheer to all whom we meet. And we have Mr. Charles Dickens of Victorian England to thank for that. During this season of joy, if anyone rebuffs my Christmas cheerfulness, the vision of Ebenezer Scrooge stands over them, instead wagging his finger and saying, no, no, let's not be a humbug. <laughs> they can't escape it. Now, yes, it's true, we live within a culture that more and more insists that humankind has outgrown the narrative of a holy family in the manger on Christmas Eve, that we must either dispense with Christian Christmas altogether or else replace it with an alternative celebration of Christmas or of family heritage. But it's truly sad to see people determined to insist like the man in Jesus' parable, I have prospered and I need nothing, but who refuse to hear the voice of God warning that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Shades of Marley's ghost. And it is true that we live within a culture that takes pride in the technological capability that puts us on the verge of a new humanity a modern worldwide community. They're determined to mock anyone who gets in the way of their imagined vision of humanity's great future. But even in the 70 plus years of my own lifetime, I have watched as humanity on both personal and global levels is still making the same mistakes, still unable to overcome our worst human impulses. We live among a people who desperately need the very mercy that you and I have been given freely. Theirs is a world of deep poverty of soul and spirit, a world devoid of any real life. When people reduce the celebration of Christmas to merely a feel-good Christmas spirit, they enjoy half a Christmas. When we place our trust in the details of Joseph's encounter, with the angel of Christmas, we get to open a Christmas present given by God himself, a more lasting and deeply fulfilling Christmas celebration. Only the Bible's angel of Christmas past provides the substance of Christmas. The spirit of Christmas present gives us merely a shadow of real Christmas in Dickens' vision. Only when we place our trust in the substance of Christmas, can we truly enjoy the entirety of the Christmas spirit. So my friends, this Christmas season, let us encourage one another and let us encourage everyone whom our Heavenly Father brings across our daily paths, even the humbugs. For we of all people, by God's grace, have been shown and therefore we believe 
that only when we place our trust in the substance of Christmas can we truly enjoy the spirit of Christmas. One of my favorite preachers, a young Scotsman by the name of James Forsyth, expresses this brilliantly. Jesus left the wealth of heaven to experience the poverty of earth so that we who live in the poverty of earth might experience the wealth of heaven. This season, let's demonstrate that joy to all whom we meet, and let's be ready to tell them the reason why when they compliment our Christmas spirit. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the giver of all good gifts, for you have made your light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. As Charles Dickens wrote as merely a fantasy for Ebenezer Scrooge, let it be said truthfully for all of your saints that we truly know how to celebrate Christmas well, and that we are enabled to do this because of your gift of our Savior and the empowering of your Holy Spirit. Amen.